Welcome to episode 23 of the Bike Pack Canada podcast with yours truly, Ryan Corey. Uh, first of all, I want to thank everyone for, uh, you know, everyone who's been listening and, and listening on a consistent basis. Um, as of as of today, I think we're just under a thousand downloads uh, for the week. Uh, so maybe maybe not like substantial in podcast world but um you know as far as things i've ever done you know blogs and and simple social posts uh you know a thousand people listening to what you're doing uh that's that's pretty substantial so thanks for everyone for listening and uh you know with this being a bit of a passion project uh the more folks that uh listen and and ultimately that get engaged it's encouraging me to to ultimately get better at it and uh to try and uh reach for more extravagant interviews like the one today. Uh, so news of the week, um, you know, I think the big thing was I, I was, I had my head in the sand for the last two weeks, uh, getting that guidebook done and I'm happy to report that the manuscript is in, um, holy smokes, that was a ton of work. Um, this week headed to Ontario, uh, Sarah and I, we have our fueling for success tour with hammer nutrition. So essentially we go around to a bunch of local retailers and uh, put on an hour and a half talk. And I think we've got six or seven of those going and about 20 to 40 folks uh, at each event. So uh, that's the next couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, talking to Hammer and and, uh, stories uh, from my last book. And uh, there's always, well, not I shouldn't say always, but recently there's been at least one question in in every audience, uh, folks wanting to know about that crazy Icefield Parkway uh, diet that I had. And, uh, you know, the ramen noodles and the, the, the candy bars. And I will tell you this, not once have I not been able to uh, explain it in a way that it made sense to someone. Um, so that's coming up. Uh, moving on, uh, my interview this week is with uh, Mr. Jonathan Hayward from Hinton, Alberta. Uh, Jonathan, of course, is the man uh, behind the scenes of the Alberta Rockies 700. Um, I had the pleasure of racing the inaugural event last year, uh, the Front Range route um at least a portion of it will also be in uh my guidebook and our chat today is to learn a bit more about the route um and what it's like to organize an event that seemingly has no organization and uh what to expect from this year's event and uh you know like always wherever the conversation takes us so uh welcome uh Jonathan has has spring hit Hinton yet uh yeah good to hear from you it definitely has finally in the last couple of days um starting to dry out a little bit on the trails around town and it's uh i'm glad to see it yeah yeah so so you've got uh the the hinton mountain bike park but outside that are are there you know like my experience with hinton is i've only really seen the 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 route that we use for the the event and and knowing about the mountain bike park but are are there other trail systems in the area there definitely is there's there's kind of uh some other uh, not not so well known trails around. It's I guess they're becoming more and more popular now with with apps like Trail Forks and people using Strava and stuff to to show their routes. Um, there is quite a few quite a few other trails. Actually, I was out on a a trail a new to me trail last night um, on the other side of the river from town with a couple of guys from the Mountain Bike Association here um, showing me a, a new a new trail. So it was great to get out and ride some new new trails that i'd never seen before so there's definitely lots around and you know having jasper there's so much so many trails in and around jasper as well that's only 45 minutes away so 
Yeah, so for for those that don't know, explain a little bit about uh, the, where where is Hinton, and um, you know, like how many people, and you know, what, what what kind of work are these folks doing? Where where is it in relation to the the race route? Uh, so Hinton uh, is we're about forty five minutes east of Jasper on Highway sixteen, and Hinton's about a town of about ten thousand people, um, and the we're located on the Alberta Rockies route, uh, conveniently, uh, right in my hometown, uh, last year, I guess it was the start of the route. And then this year it's going to be the end of the route. Gotcha. And, uh, to get to Hinton, is it what about like two and a half, three hour, is it about a three hour drive from Edmonton? Uh, two and a half, two and a half hours is, is pretty, pretty much right on. Yeah, so I imagine if if you're flying in for the the race, well, last year anyways, you'd be flying into Edmonton and then how, how did most folks get to the start line? Was it just friends dropping them off or did you there have was, anyone shuttling in? Uh there definitely was uh a few people who, you know, just had people other friends and relatives and stuff drop them in Hinton. Um we did have a a surprisingly large contingent of people from out of the country um, and some from Eastern Canada, which, which was really surprising. And uh, there was, there was a group of a group of three, two of them had come from Italy and one came from Mexico as kind of a group. And they all, I believe flew into Edmonton and then um, I'm not even sure actually how they got to Hinton, tell you the truth, <laughs> but they made it here and they rode. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. what is the, what is the Alberta Rockies, uh, 700? How long has it been around? Well, we kind of already said, but, um, you know, where, where did it come from and, and where does it go? Uh, so how did it come about? I guess was, um, my own looking for, uh, probably three, four years ago when I really started, you know, finding out about bikepacking and really getting interested in it and looking for events that were close to home or at least, uh, you know, somewhere in Western Canada. And other than the Tour Divide, which starts in Banff, obviously, I wasn't finding anything. And definitely three, four years ago, there wasn't as much information online about events and there wasn't as many events so i really searched far and wide for for an event to do um i ended up uh, riding that in 2015 on the oregon outback the second and i guess last year of that event and uh you know left that on a bit of a high and really wanted to to do more and uh so then I, again, was kind of back researching and looking and seeing what else was out there. And at some point, somebody, I don't even know who to credit at this point, um, brought up the fact, oh, why don't you just build your own route? And uh, so I started thinking about that, and I'd kind of initially planned out just, you know, a route for myself to ride, just to spend three, four, or five days going for a longer ride and um, I kind of initially planned it as, I think I'd called it the, uh, great forestry trunk challenge or something like that. And, um, I'd done some initial mapping of it on, um, ride with GPS. And then I did a little bit more and then 
I was talking to a couple other people who I'd ridden with down in Oregon, and they said, well, why don't you invite other people to ride it? And then kind of snowballed from there relatively quickly to um, first setting up a, a Facebook page for it, and then uh, shortly after that actually building a website, which was entirely new to me as well, and uh, getting that going. And then it kind of gained gained momentum from there really quickly and uh um ended up with you know 30 almost 40 people riding last year um and so the the route last year was started in hinton followed primarily along the uh forestry trunk road a combination of highway 40 and highway 734 pretty much straight south from hinton um down along the front range of the rockies and ending in Coleman, Alberta. And did you ever think about starting it further north or just, you know, as a matter of convenience, you know, if I'm the guy organizing this, I'm going to start it in Hinton. There was, there was definitely part of that involved with, you know, literally starting out my back door. Um, part of it was I really looked at, um, the routes that went north of Hinton and they weren't as, rider friendly um there's pretty much two main ways to go north from hinton you can go highway 40 that goes north from hinton is paved um up to grand prairie um it's not a great highway i would not ride it on a bike of any sort personally just because there's the majority of it has zero shoulders um and it's really heavily traveled um and then the other option would be um, the other Forest Service roads that are uh, north of town. Again, the, the most of the oil, ninety-five percent of the oil and gas and the logging uh, in this area is to the north of town, and those roads are very well, very heavily traveled. Whereas the the routes that head south um, between, especially between here and Rob. Um, you know, I've ridden days, Saturdays, Sundays, where I'll ride that 50 kilometers to Rob and see, you know, sometimes no vehicles, sometimes one or two, you know, cars, people commuting back and forth from who live in Rob and work in Hinton or something. But Right. So, so you mentioned oil and gas and, and forestry. So, uh, again, for the, those that aren't familiar, is that pretty much the, re- the reason why that forestry trunk road exists is to get into those back areas or are you familiar with any other reason why it was established? I would assume like, I know that they do call that, that highway 4734 corridor, the forestry trunk road. So that is primarily its original purposes, uh, from what I understand was to be that main access point to, to logging roads, to secondary logging roads and stuff. So uh, the Oregon Outback, was it similar terrain or is it more, um, you know, single track experience? How does it compare? Um, it was definitely a mix. The first, um, I'm thinking the, the good chunk of the first day you're riding rail trail and um, you end up on quite a bit of forest service roads uh, after, after the first day. Um, for service roads, you do go through a bit of a deserty section and then in the middle and at the Northern end, you're into more, uh, agricultural and you're riding kind of secondary farm access roads and stuff. So it was actually a really, really good mix. Um, 
you know, you had everything from forest to desert to uh, flat open fields and uh, river crossings. So yeah, it was a it was a really good mix. It was a great route. So did you have any apprehensions when when planning the the Rocky Seven Hundred route? Because it's it's pretty, you know, f- for the most part, it's uh, straight shot gravel gravel road like you don't get those kind of that same dynamic as far as trails Mm -hmm. um no i i was more looking at it that you're you're right in the rockies you're right in the mountains um that was a bit of a draw to me to to be able to be out being able to ride you know close to uh you know 700 kilometers in the in or beside the mountains was was a bit of a draw for me yeah so right in the foothills yeah yeah, so so now we have um, a couple of events in in the area. So we've we've got Leonard's uh, BC Epic One Thousand. Uh, we've got uh, Trevor and Justin's Hurt and Albertan Five Fifty. Uh, we've got the Kootenai Gravel Grinder, and then and then of course your event. So looking at the, looking at those events, how would you characterize um, the Seven Hundred uh, compared to to those experiences? You know, if you were pitching. How they're how they differ and how they're the same. Well, of course, mine's the best. No, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I haven't I haven't ridden either of the others, so it's it's hard to uh, um, to really compare. Um, I I think each one of them offers a really um, different perspective on the the type of terrain you're you're going to see. Um, you know, I. I would love to be able to ride to ride all three, and you know, t- obviously, time is, seems to be the biggest the biggest constraint in my life. But uh, um, you know, I I'm contemplating seeing if I can if I can fit the uh, the Hurt and Albertan into my schedule this year. Um, Leonard's route, um, actually, I rode with I rode with Leonard in Oregon, and uh, um, we actually traveled down to the Oregon Outback together. So um, I'm communicate with with leonard quite a bit and uh i would love to be able to get out on his route at some point as well and uh now he's got his couple uh, other sub events that he's running on the uh in september on the uh, labor day weekend the buckshot that uh i may not be able to to be able to do the full one but i am contemplating getting out there for the i guess it's the single shot the 350k version yeah so yeah i'm I think I think it's great that we've had three events kind of pop up within a year, um, three four events, and just be able to you know people have some options now. Yeah, so you know I I think most of us have an appreciation of what's going on behind the scenes. You know, once once we've done our research, but you know what what is involved um you know as i said at the top of the episode in organizing an event that seemingly has no organization um you know is is it is it something that you're devoting a couple hours to each week you know like what's involved you know now that you have the route what's what's involved uh, on your end um it definitely has leveled out i know when when i first got things going um you know sp- setting up the route and actually, um, you know, getting the website going, there was definitely some time into that. I I wanted somewhat of a website that wasn't, um, 
you know, really basic looking. I wanted people to actually, you know, use it and have some, some features in there and some pictures and, you know, links to the route and stuff like that. So, you know, it was a little bit of a learning curve, as I said before, as I'd never set up a website before. Um, and then I think there was, there was a bit of an initial rush for me as far as, uh, signups for last year for the 2016 version. Um, there had been a, a mention of the, of the event and the route, uh, in a, an email that's put out by the adventure cycling association. Um, it's a, an email that they send out every couple of weeks called bike bits. And they had, uh, put a little blurb in there about the Alberta Rockies and, uh, after that went out there and I think that email goes out to, I don't know, 30 some thousand people or something. So I had a real rush of, of emails coming in and people signing up and people asking questions. So I was at that point, I was like, Oh God, what have I gotten myself into here? Cause I was now spending three, four hours every day after work answering emails and, uh, communicating with people and updating the sign in sheets and everything. And I was thinking it created a bit of a monster, but then it kind of leveled off. And definitely this year, um, other than some tweaks to the route that I've done and then reversing the route for this year, it's really pretty, it's pretty easy. You know, I get every once in a while, you get an email saying that somebody has asked a question or somebody has signed up and you update the, the website with their info. And that's really about it. So it's, it's pretty sustainable at this point. Awesome. So you, you've switched up the route. Uh, so now it's starting in Coleman, headed north to, to Hinton. What, what yeah. was the reason behind doing that? Um, I'd always liked that uh, it's what the Colorado trail race that reverses every year. I always thought that was kind of a neat concept. Um, and so that was, that was one of the reasons. The other reason was um, I thought it would be great to just be more incentive for me to finish this year. Um, is I'm just riding home. That's all I'm doing is I'm going for a ride home. <laughs> yeah, and there there was there was a good number of folks that didn't get a chance to see the end of the trail. So yeah, reversing it gives them that uh, opportunity. Yeah. So definitely. Do, do you have a lot of return signups? Uh, there definitely is uh, a few. I think we're probably mm, pull a number off the top of my head. I'd say there's six or so, six or seven yeah. that are returning. So that's good to see. Yeah. So being a being a second year uh, organizer, uh, with a bit of per- perspective and hindsight, why do you think it's important to have events? You know, why not? You know, you know, considering that this is like largely solo endeavor and no one really cares about it at the end of the day, why do you think it's important that we have these challenges and not just say create a route on on ride with GPS and be done with it? Um, I definitely think the the initial get together and everybody at the at the start is a big part of it. You know, I know what you're saying. You 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 get out there on the trail and within you know minutes to hours you're almost by yourself and you could spend a fair bit of the of the the trip um, by yourself. But I definitely think that initial kind of get together and you know, seeing other people's bikes, it's, it's all part of the experience. So the, the finish I imagine is now the start location this year. Is that the rum runner? Yeah, you betcha. Awesome. 
So any uh, any standout stories from year one that come to mind? Um, I think uh, the one that that pops to my mind is uh, is Greg Van Tegum. Um He seemed to have kind of a uh, everything was set against him, and uh, he's he still put together a, a really impressive time considering kind of the uh, um, the roadblocks that seem to be getting put in his way. Um, so Greg Van Tegum, he's a well, he's been on one of your other podcasts. Um, he he's a fire chief in Jasper, and he was he was delayed in starting, so he didn't get to to start with everybody at the Grand Depart uh, for work reasons, and so he started six or seven hours late, and uh, he told me some stories after about. Uh, well, I knew he he'd, he'd missed a turn when he got into Rob and rode um, a little, a few extra miles that he didn't need to to put on the bike, and uh, um, so that was kind of the second thing that was really uh, put in his way. And then uh, something about a a sub that may have been in his in his uh, frame bag a little too long, not <laughs> sitting so well with him. And then I think the final the final thing that really uh, uh, got to him was he got into to the finish when he did get to the finish he got to the rum runner like five minutes or something after it after it closed so it just everything was out to get him i think on that route uh, well he, he finished nonetheless that was, that oh, was yeah, great exactly to um okay so you, you mentioned rob um so i've got it marked down in the guidebook as a, as a possible restock it i I'm not quite familiar with what's there, so I'm gonna have to head back. But what what are so along the route? What what are your other restock options? There's there's Nordic, Camor. Is there anywhere else? Um, so yeah, Rob. If if you're going from Hinton south, um, as we went last year, Rob would be your first option. Um, very limited. Um, that's only 50 kilometers from Hinton, so it's. It depends on how you're packing and what you need. Um, weekdays, uh, I believe, you're pretty pretty good if you're rolling in there during like business hours to get some restock at the small store or hotel that they have there. Um, but it's that's about your only option until Nordeg, which um, has you know it's got a restaurant, a couple of restaurants, gas station. There's a hotel there. Um, you know, still it's not a huge place. Um, so hours you're not going to find like a 24-hour 7-eleven or anything like that but um if you get into there at a normal hours you are going to have that option um the big stretch obviously is the stretch from um from nordig to canmore um it there is one restock option along that route that i didn't have on the route last year because I, I, well, I didn't pin it as an official thing because I didn't know for sure if there was going to be anything open as we came through there at the end of June. As it turned out, um, uh, when I was coming through, it's at um, the Red Deer River crossing. There used to be a, a camp and gas station kind of right along the Forest Trunk Road um, that's been shut down for quite a few years now. But if you go off route at that spot, a couple kilometers there is a little uh backcountry lodge that has a small store and a restaurant 
Um, and actually I was able to stop and get some food there and, uh, a bit of a break. Um, so that is definitely one option that's in there in that long stretch between, um, Nordig and Canmore this year with the route, um, bypassing around the stony first nation, it does give you actually one extra restock point just after you, uh, just as you're turning off of one a heading North or the ghost station. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, I guess if you want to head off route again, there's Morley. Um, there's, there's the, there's a convenience store and pub in Exshaw. I, and yeah. all, all these are, are very dependent on what hours you hit them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. As you, as you, as you mentioned, so Canmore is probably your most reliable restock. So if you're going northbound, well, geez, how many, I can't remember off the top of my head, how many kilometers are we looking at from Coleman to, to Canmore? Yeah. Is it like 200 something? Yeah. It's a right, right around 200. Yeah. Okay. So there would be, I'm trying to think what would be there. There's definitely some later options, uh, for sure. And, yeah. uh, I imagine most folks will get pretty close to Canmore. Um, I would think anyways, hey, would you? Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. You know, I think you're going to have this year going uh, south to north, I think. Some people, depending on how many, what kind of distances people are putting on in a day, I think some people are going to get into uh, the Kananaskis area and maybe camp in there um, the first night. Or there'll be people that are pushing on and going right into to Canmore and there'll probably be others that just go keep going. So have you heard anything about the, the Highwood house? Um, I haven't been able to get an update on, on if, if they're open or if it's been renovated. Uh, the last I heard was there was some renovations that were done last year. And that's one of the reasons I did talk to somebody down there and they say that they typically they're out their regular business hours. Don't start until early July. And that was kind of one of my other reasons for bumping it a little bit later this year is to ensure that the, that would be open or higher chance that that would be open. And then a good chance of that kind of midway at the Red Deer River option as well, because they're definitely more of a July, August type. We hit them kind of right at the start of their season last year. So, yeah, I was thinking about that and um, with, with the mapping, actually. So when you come into the Peter Lougheed or Kananaskis area, uh, well, descending off of Highwood Pass going north, if you kept on Highway 40, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but a couple kilometers down the road, there's a convenience store, uh, Gas Plus, I think it is. Um, and if, funny enough, actually, if you go to their website, uh, they actually have a, a, a real-time listing of whether their Slurpee and ice cream and hot dog machines are working, uh, which you know, which means they take convenience seriously. And then uh, if you got into a trouble spot, you could always backtrack. Um, once once you dipped into Peter Lougheed, uh just before you got onto the Smith Dorian, you could backtrack to Bolton Creek Campground, um, all on paved roads. Oh, okay. So yeah, a, f- a few options there actually. So okay, so this leads into my my next question. Actually, this comes from Brian Kennelly, who you might have already seen the question. Uh, so he says there's plenty of gravel for service roads, um, 
but how much of it is single track or four by four tracks? So I think we may have already touched on that. Uh, yeah, so, I'd so, say so it's none. pretty much none. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the next good question is: Is it possible to use the High Rockies Trail from Kananaskis to Canmore uh, versus the road? So how do you consider that? So um, I know I started thinking about that um, after the summit last year um, as a as a real good option and. I definitely think that that would be a great option as a as an alternate or a permanent change to the road at some point. Um, I didn't pursue that option with the with the road update for this year, just based on the fact that the the information that I had at the from the summit about um, the timing of when the trail was going to be fully open um, this year. I, and I hadn't ridden it myself, so I really didn't want to put it onto the map until I had ridden it. Uh, that's really what it came down to, and just not knowing that if it was going to be fully ready and where it fit and being able to actually plot it properly onto the route, I thought that was better to to wait until the, the, full, the full route or the full um, High Rockies Trail had been open for at least a little while and be able to actually go out and ride it and put the accurate gps data into there yeah and 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 taking it from a local and and i debated this uh at at nauseum for the the guidebook because one of the issues that i ran into is that the the west side road that the great divide route utilizes is in it's not officially happening yet but it's looking like it's going to happen it sounds like they're going to close it down uh to to return it to a wildlife corridor so uh, for bears primarily. Um, so that would then reroute folks down the Smith door in. So the, the road we're talking about or along the, the High Rockies Trail, which parallels. So the, the obvious the obvious thing on paper is, yeah, put it on, you know, put them on the High Rockies Trail. Like it's a, I think it's like a 70 kilometer trail that essentially goes from the trailhead above Camor at Goat goat pond all the way to elk pass so uh, very much part of the the great divide route um the p- problem that i proposed to the adventure cycling folk and and to others was that um you know if, if you're just going for a day ride on your dual suspension bike and you're not carrying a lot you know it's fine it's 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 a wide uh well-groomed trail but it is it is pitchy and um if you're carrying any sense of a load as as any you know bike packer would be whether they're they're touring or they're racing it would be a pretty exhausting push for most folk um so and especially like if you're looking at coming in towards the end of day one say like a hard day one for most folks um you would not get too far into Kananaskis. um and furthermore since there's no I'm kind of thinking about this out loud. Since there's no campsites on the trail, you would actually have to divert off the trail. And so you're now creating work for yourself. Okay. Um, so, yeah, yeah, you know what? Actually, taking into account that it would come at towards the day, end of day one for most folks, I I think you got the right idea. Like the the Smith Dorian is, is a wide, dusty gravel road. I, I think that's kind of what Brian's getting at. Yeah. Um, but it, but it, But it is a wide road. Um, so yeah, 
No, I, like I said, I definitely didn't want to to put something on there that I'd really didn't, you know, never been on the trail myself. I, you know, in on paper or in my mind, it sounds like a great option, but until you actually see it and get on it and know what it's like, I just, I didn't, like I said, I didn't feel comfortable putting it on, on the route for this year. So, yeah. And actually, um, the good news is that for the folks that do want to ride it, um, I know some of the people behind the scenes and, and we had, of course, some out at the summit, uh, talking about the trail uh, of, you know, some of the trans Canada trail sections in question that are, are still being, um, uh, put together for next year's, uh, hopeful finish. This is one that for sure will be finished. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's going to be, it's going to draw a lot of people in, uh, for, for riding in Kananaskis, but, um, I suggested to, well, Matthew Lee at, uh, well, Tour Divide and, and Adventure Cycling. I'm like, it is not a race route. It's a touring route. Um, and, and especially for racers, well, n- not so much for the, the Rocky 700, cause everyone's going to be spread out quite a bit, but, uh, if you're headed the other way, you know, like doing the de- tour divide, like it comes pretty early on and it's just mm-hmm. going to create like a bottleneck. Um, so yeah, no, long story short, I think you got the right idea, but, uh, Brian, a very valid and, uh, a good question. Yeah. So, uh, so we mentioned the, the rerouting around, um, the stony, uh, stony lands there. So you've, you've, you've taken out the, the bit down, uh, Richard's road. Um, so you've added, that adds what, like 40, 50, 60 kilometers of paved road. Uh, yeah, it's somewhere around there. I think last year the route, um, on the GPS track, it ended at, I think just under 700 kilometers, and this year it's right at 720 so it's it's definitely added a little bit of distance and definitely added a bit more pavement but the the logistics there were just that um last year i did acquire a a act a land access permit for the for the actual event time frame um and luckily you know it was it was fairly easy to get that access permit but it was only for a certain period of time. So anybody who may have been doing an ITT uh, before or after that uh, window of time that we had been granted that access uh, permit for was technically, if they were going through there, weren't doing legally, doing so legally, I guess. Um, so I, I just thought for longevity of, of the route and... Uh, making it easier to manage uh, going forward that uh, that the reroute around would be the best option. Right. And uh, are, are there any other notable changes to the road? Uh, not really. Um, really, the biggest thing is just the reversing. Um, I did a couple of little cleanups with some uh, a couple of little weird jogs in the in the GPS track that um, a couple of folks reached out to me after the event on um of some spots where the trail seemed to do a weird little zig off of the road and then come right back on a couple kilometers down there um just little issues with i think the the actual website i'd used and how it lines up with with google maps so yeah that's funny you should mention that because um i've been using ride with gps too 
Um, yeah, so f- for folks out there, if you're planning your own route, um, I- I've used pretty well everything out there uh, for the guidebook. And uh, Rider GPS is, is definitely um, my favorite tool. It's, it's, it's pretty tremendous. You can um, cycle through various uh, base maps and um, the, the, the mapping software will automatically sync up to trails depending on the base map that you use so it's not just roads um, and you don't have to manually like uh, trace trace your gps routes um, it's set up to find those backcountry paths if they do exist on a, a base map but yeah i i have noticed it I, you, and, and i understand why you didn't catch it because I, I haven't caught it on mine fully either but yeah it does create these weird zigs every once in a while mm-hmm. we're, we're talking like maybe not even like five meters of of, of travel or, or something like that but you know i i can see how it'd be confusing to someone that was just like following um, the line yeah they're following, following the a, line yeah following it to a t right yeah yeah um so okay so you've got camor nordic is the is the big uh well bigger uh populated centers do you, do you have any support uh, from like any local businesses or folks in that area that are, are doing anything for, for racers as they're coming through? Uh, not really. Um, you know, I, I know last year I kind of reached out to a few um, people and I kind of got mixed results on that. Um, I had actually, uh, I think, six or so uh, – companies or or folks that kind of came on as um event uh uh partners i guess we'd say you know there was no sponsorship or anything like that but it was just um i'd reached out to a a few uh companies uh just kind of letting them know about the event and thought that you know i could get their name out there a little bit more and uh um in turn you know hopefully they would give riders some kind of uh of a discount and there was uh five or six that did that i did last year contact some of um the a couple of the places in canmore um just to let them know that there was going to be riders coming through and you know um but yeah as officially you know anywhere that people need to stop or check in there's nothing like that this year yeah, I will say for businesses on road, um, and it's it's kind of a shameless plug, but it is it's a worthwhile one. Is is Rebound Cycle, um, which the route goes right by in Canmore. Um, my, you know, they, they were they ended up being, uh, you know, our major partner for the summit last year. And actually, my first real introduction to the guys there was that I was like furiously um, messaging all the bike shops in town at, uh, you know, early hour. Um, it was the second day of the race and my, my shifter cable had exploded open and I had no gears and, um, they were the first to, uh, respond back. And, uh, Ryan from rebound came in, uh, I think it was like an hour or two early just to work on my bike. Um, so it, it goes to show like just, you know, their, their level of commitment in the bike packing scene. So they're on route for sure. Yeah. And they definitely seem to be really supporting the whole, bikepacking scene so yeah that's i'm glad that the route does go right there you know really canmore either direction that you're riding the route is going to be your your first and pretty much only place for any kind of bike service yeah and 
I'm thinking about this out loud, but uh, it's it's killing me. I, I really wanted to do the the race this year, but it, it just comes like a little too close to the 24 hours of adrenaline for me. Um, but what I think we might do is, if you're open to it, anyways, I, I don't want to infringe, but uh, maybe hook up with the guys at Rebound and uh, set up some sort of like 24 hour fueling station for the folks coming through if they need to grab any bars or drinks or uh, or, or maybe even a cold beer, you know. That would be awesome. Yeah. Okay. So we'll we'll work on that. I think that would uh, that would be a, kind of a unique value add for sure. I I, I am curious. So uh, so going southbound last year, um, as as the front three of us were, or I, it might have been two at that point. Well, no, three. Okay. Yeah. Dallas and um, myself and um, oh, I apologize. I've forgotten the other gentleman's name. Um, but the three of us coming through Nordeg. Um, Right at the junction, at the Highway 11 junction, uh, I I can only assume there were some locals there in a truck that seemed to be directing riders into town. Okay. They they had a bike there. They seemed to know what was going on. Are, are you familiar with this at all? No, I I don't think I've heard that story. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so literally on the corner, so you come off the forestry trunk road, you hit Highway 11. And um, assuming the route's all the same, you have to actually go off-road. Yeah, um, you've got to go, go east a couple kilometers to get into Nordig. Yeah, to restock, which, you know, when, when you work out the mileage and the amount of calories you, you'll need to burn, you, it, there's, I think, pretty well everyone but me went off-road. Um, so, yeah, there was these guys at the corner directing people, I think, making sure that we knew that Nordig was was where we had to go and, and highway 11's how to get there. Okay. Um, but it, it was funny because, um, I, I purposely had planned not to go to Norday cause, um, I knew that I'd worked out all my calorie needs and I, I was like, geez, if, if I don't go to Norday, I'm probably going to save myself a half hour at least. And, uh, you know, it meant that I had to be really kind of on the ball as far as my needs and obviously carrying more, uh, more food, uh, but I'd worked it all out in Hinton and got what I needed. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was funny to see these guys' reactions. So I, I came through and just blew through and just kept on going because I knew that Dallas and the other guy out front would have gone off to Nordic. And uh, they 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 actually chased me down because they were, I think, genuinely concerned that uh, I was going to you know, find myself starving in the next couple of hours on the way to Ram Falls. Um, so you're, you're not familiar with this. This was just, uh, guys out there on their own volition. Yeah, it must've been. That's funny. Okay. Well, you've, you've, it sounds like you got some support in, uh, Nordic anyways. That's good to hear. Cool. Um, all right. Well, uh, I think, I think we got a good sense of, of the road and the restock and, and some of the stories and a little bit about, uh, who you are. Um, moving forward, you know, do you have any expectations with, uh, the, the race or, or what you'd like to make of it? Or do you see yourself going, you know, the approach like Leonard's done where you have different variations of it? Um, you know, what, what's going through your head these days? Um, kind of the, I think the next big thing is a possible, uh, collaboration actually for 2018, um, to uh, to possibly link both my uh, route and Leonard's route together. Whoa! So wow. that's that's something we've been kind of talking about a little bit off and on, and I was chatting with him a couple of nights ago about it as well. That uh, just to see uh, 
if he was okay with if that topic came up today, um, if that's uh, kind of the direction we're both still thinking. So we don't have anything on on paper yet, but we've looked at it a couple of times, and it it, it really it, it almost makes sense because where his ends and where mine starts this year, you know, less than 100 kilometers apart. Yeah. You know, his ending in Fernie and and this year us starting in Coleman, it's it's Highway 3. It's um, It would be a little bit of a link that uh, uh, would be on some pavement in between the two. But I think you, we'd end up with, a, you know, a close to 1,800-kilometer uh, route that's purely in Canada, which uh, I think would be awesome. Oh, dude, you just you just gave me every reason to pitch it to you guys that we should maybe have a Facebook uh, page behind the scenes where we all kind of come together on these topics. It's been something that's been kind of floating around in my head, like uh, between the various race organizers. Um, because what I would actually do, and, and this comes from planning the guidebook and, and knowing the flathead quite well, is um, if, if you were going to do that, you could actually go from Fernie um, up and over the range into the Flathead Valley um, and then come up and over the Castle, um, well, what is now Castle Provincial Park and pop okay. in the back road to Coleman. Um, and that is all, uh, there's there's no real technical terrain. You'd have a bit of climbing out of uh, Fernie, uh, but it's all kind of well within, I would say, the scope of what you've already started as far as... Um, you know, a wider gravel track. Um, so yeah, you wouldn't even have to touch the highway at all if you really wanted to. That, that would be awesome. So there we go. Perfect, uh, perfect uh, time to get it out there and start getting some ideas around it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll off, off the episode here, I'll, I'll pitch it to you guys about this, uh, this, uh, group that we can kind of collaborate on these ideas. Um, cool. Well, uh, Thank you, Jonathan. Again, uh, you know, like a lot of these interviews, uh, they quite often happen on uh, Friday afternoons as, as folks have gotten home from work. And uh, I and it sounded like you raced home from, from work to do this. So thank you, uh, Jonathan. And uh, it's been been great to chat. And like I said, I, I really I really want to be out there. I um, I had a year of second places uh, last year and, and I, I had this kind of burning ego desire to to better that result. Um so I, I don't think I'll be racing. Um, I might do an ITT. Oh, that'd be um, great. Actually, on that note, if for, for folks that want to do an ITT, is there a way for them to get on the tracking page? Or, like, how did that work last year with uh, Dean doing his? Um, so right now, I have I have talked to the folks at Track Leaders. Um, Basically, they're going to set me up about a month ahead of the official start time to uh, to get people the, get the registration page set up, and then they'll put the uh, the actual tracking page up. Um, usually, what they say is usually about a week before the grand depart. Um, but if there is somebody who is going to be doing an ITT, um, you know, outside that time frame. Um, the sooner, um, the sooner somebody lets me know, then I can let them know, um, that there will be somebody wanting to do an ITT that does want to, uh, get it on the actual event, uh, track leader link. Um, they seem to be open to that. So, 
Okay. Okay. So we'll, we'll talk more about that. We'll talk more about, um, the, the fueling, uh, beer zone at, uh, rebound and, uh, yeah, no, looking forward to, to, to hearing more of the stories uh, that come out of it this year. Great. Cool. Well, thanks, Jonathan. Uh, this has been uh, episode 23 of the Bike Pack Canada podcast. Cheers.